Jets fans, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Broadway Jets podcast. You will know me from Twitter as NYJMike, and I'm joined by the president of memes of Jets Twitter, NYJMatt. Here we go. Yeah, we're ready to go. It, it was a long time coming, but uh, this podcast is going to be very different, right? A lot of podcasts are great, but they go through 53-man roster, um, upcoming games, you know, over-under wins. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk about crazy hypotheticals, and we're going to keep it very positive. But before we get to that, we have an awesome interview lined up with Connor Hughes. So with that, we're going to turn it over to that interview now. It isn't Connor Hughes. Yo, what's up, guys? How are you, buddy? I'm How's good, going, man. man. How are you? Dude, thanks for coming. Going over. good, dude. Yeah, no problem at all, guys. No problem at all. Oh, my God. It seems like just yesterday we were in Monmouth University and you broke the Antonio Cromartie news. Yeah, you remember that? Re-signed. That's the, that? I talk about that all the time. That yeah, was so that's funny. so crazy. I still talk about Man, I, I tell that story all the time because I remember being like on the radio show with you guys and like, it was you, me, and Joe. Joe Lacalandra. And, and I was like, oh, my God. Just, I was like, dude, if I get this text, I'm going to get this text. And the whole, like, Joe was my roommate. <laughs> So the whole yeah. time I was going through all this crap, Joe was like, I don't think he's really going to give it to you, man. Are you sure you're not getting played? Are you sure you're not getting played? So when I came through, I was like, let's fucking go. That's oh, awesome, man. That one. That was Dude, I remember we went to training camp last year, and the entire way oh, yeah. up, Mike and I were like, we're getting AJ Green. We're going to trade it for him. For three yeah. months, we had a markdown that we're getting him. And we rolled yeah. to training camp, and Mike sees you and goes, yo, are we going to get uh, AJ Green? And you're like, dude, absolutely not. Like, they're not getting <laughs> yeah. And then we, we were like bummed out the entire ride home. We're like, all right, he's not our number one receiver anymore. Well, oh, his, agent, his agent uh, is the same guy who gave me the crow stuff. So I had that one. Like, oh, if that was oh, actually going to go down. Yeah, so if that shit was actually going to go down, I was going to have that immediately. So I, <laughs> I, had been, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, Jets need a number one guy. AJ Green's like the prototypical, like the dude you want on your team. And I thought they could get him for cheap. And I remember calling his agent and being like, that's like, he goes, that's not fucking happening. He goes, no oh, shot in hell. I'm, no shot in hell. He's going to the Jets. Very yeah. depressing as most of our Jets history is. But Connor's been covering the Jets since 2014. A couple of different sites, NJ.com yeah. among them. With The Athletic now, we're very happy to have him with us. Uh, we're going to ask you a bunch of ridiculous questions to start off our podcast. So Matt goes by NYJ Matt on Twitter and I'm NYJ cool. Mike as a refresher. Uh, Matt hit us off with the uh, some some intriguing questions for Connor Hughes that he has not been asked before. Yeah, this is ridiculous. So, life on the line, one of these things needs to happen. You can either have a Kerry Vidvik 62-yard field goal, or Kyle Wilson has to stop Jerry Rice one-on-one from the 7-yard line. Man-to-man coverage, one of those things to save your life. Oh, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, Kyle Wilson's a little bit before my time. I, I wasn't around for, uh, for Kyle Wilson too, too much. So I, I don't lucky. know. Yeah. I, I can't. Yeah. And you guys, like everyone kind of knows, like I, I didn't grow up a Jets fan. I'm not a Jets fan now. Like I this just happened to be where my career took me. So I can't like go back into too much Jets history, but right. Uh, the thing with Vedvik man was like the dude had a cannon for a leg. I mean, there was a reason why the Vi- it was the Vikings, right? The traded like yeah. a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty decent draft pick to get him. So the guy's a pretty good, like he, he had a pretty good leg. So I would think that if it's like Jerry Rice in his prime and it's one-on-one coverage against Kyle Wilson, I don't know if there's any defensive back not named like Deion Sanders that I would take uh, in that matchup. So I would probably I would probably go with the Vedvik kick. I think uh, that's that. the uh, that's the one I'm going to go with. The only player with a negative AV on the Jets since 2010, <laughs> Gary Vedvik. All right, we got another one. The 2017 Jets are coached by Rich Kotite, and they have to go to and win the Super Bowl. Or Vernon Golston has to set the NFL sack record with 23 sacks. Man, you guys should have, like, Rich Samini <laughs> on here. Samini's got some amazing Kotite stories. Like, yeah. Now you're really testing me. I, I, don't, I only know of Kotite from what I've heard from Rich. And from yeah, us too, man. I was zero years old when he went 1-15 with the Jets. So. Yeah, he was a character. So you need Kotite to take you all the way to the Super Bowl? With, or the, he's... with the 2017 Jets, so the Josh McCown, like, sucker yeah. Sam Jets. That started off three and two, you know, and they were winning fourteen nothing against the Patriots, you know, the Austin yeah. Safarian Jenkins game. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, oh man, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if any of those things are happening. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> like, I, the, the Vernon Golston one, like I've asked a bunch of people about him because I find his whole career fascinating. Mm-hmm. That that this guy is like drafted so high and he finished his career without a sack, and I just yeah. think that's like so fascinating to me. And he was like the big height, weight, speed guy. So if you're talking about like that 17 team was pretty bad. I mean, I don't think either of them are happening at all. 
Um, but I think there's probably a better chance that uh, that that it's going to be uh, Golston maybe than uh, than Kotai. I, don't think, I, don't I, think, I think I would go with that too. Yeah, especially remember yeah. the one year Calvin Pace had ten sacks in like 2014. When yeah, just, yeah, it can. It they can were happen. like all unassisted sacks. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. All right, this is my favorite one. This is what I thought of. So you go away for a month. And you need another Jets beat writer to take over, like the Connor Hughes name on the Athletic to write okay. under your name. Who would you take, current Jets beat writer, to write under your name? Current. Oh, you're gonna say current. I was okay. Um, I was gonna say past. You know, the guy who had like some really interesting storylines and the guy uh, story, yes, yeah, story ideas and stuff like that. He used to push me a lot on the beat. Um, going further back was Dan Popper. Was he was now he's with the Athletic. He he's not there anymore. Uh, Matt Stivalkowski, who actually replaced me at the ledger, used to have some like really cool story ideas. But like he would be a guy that that came up with a lot of really cool ones that would like the ones that would piss me off too, because he'd be like, "Why the hell? I, like, why the hell didn't I think?" <laughs> right, like, right. Like he he was a good one. Um, of the current guys on the beat, though, uh, to replace me, I'd probably have to go with the uh, the elder the elder statesman. I go with Samini. Like yeah. Samini, that dude, he's. He's been there. He's done that. He's done it for so long that he'd actually make my byline look a little better. So, <laughs> I like, love. I'd, I'd, I'd come back from my year long break and people would be like, "What the hell happened?" Like it'd be something <laughs> like that. So I think uh, I think I'd probably give that one to Samini. Yeah. yeah, much more negative. All right, Connor. Uh, there's a flag throwing contest between two notorious flag throwers, Dowell Loggins and Marcus Peters. Who do you got? Dow, you got to go with Dow. You got to go with Dow. <laughs> I remember talking to Gase about that. Like I've talked to him like off uh, off the record. Like I forget where it was. It might have been like before practice or something like that. And it was right after like Dow had the flag. And I remember like BS. Like all of us were BSing. But I was like, dude, I was like, why does he have it? Like why does Dow have the flag? And I think it was something where like Gase said like, well, if I'm if it's like a defensive call that needs to be something, I'm with the quarterbacks. Like Dow can throw the flag. But it was something like I remember saying something about how it like excited and amped up Dowell had gotten. Oh, that's so good to hear. That it basically became the fact that like he couldn't take the flag now away from me. Like, <laughs> like right. now it was like not only does Dowell have the flag, but they can't take the flag <laughs> flag away from him because of how excited he is that he has. And you could tell like when he throws that thing, yeah. man, like the few times he did, that's some emphatic throws. Like he's pretty pumped up to have that thing and is whipping it around. So I gotta I gotta go with uh, with Dowell. I know my uh, Peter's like what he throw it in the stands or something like that. He, yeah. He, yeah he I, I don't know. I think Dal Dal has him has him beat there. I, I and he Dal. looks more like Patton Oswald than any person on earth. Yeah, and Dal actually played quarterback in college, so I'm pretty I sure. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Yeah, I'm almost positive he was a quarterback in college. So I know he's got a pretty good arm too. Dude, I think Dow has like five challenge flags in his house, and he just like practices throwing them outside in the oh, backyard. That wouldn't surprise me. That like surprise he, me, dude. that's great that he loves it. That's awesome. That would not uh, surprise me, dude. <laughs> Not me. So we got some actual questions, you know. All right, here we uh, go. We're not okay. complete clowns, but uh, <laughs> we're wondering about free agency. So the Jets, uh, you know, have somewhere between nineteen and thirty million dollars. It's hard to tell. You know, the, the yeah. numbers move all the time. Uh, is there any shot the Jets go after Jadavian Clowney? Are you going to pull an AJ Green move with us and say absolutely not? Yeah, no. Dreams? It's tough. I Man, I've like I've made some. I've made calls on it, and I, I asked about it. And I focused it. Eventually, it was like when it first happened. I was like, I don't think the Jets going to give him like the massive long-term contract. So it was like the Jets were going to offer him the money that they believe a, a deal that he would be worth. And if he ended up accepting it, that'd be great. But as this thing's gone on, like I, I don't, I, he'd be a fit. He would help the Jets. Definitely. I mean, the guys that when he's mentally checked in, he's a hell of a defensive player. The thing is though, it's like, I just don't see him as a Joe Douglas guy. I, I just, I don't see him as a, a, a Joe Douglas player like this. I, when we met Joe for the very first time, like, like as in a formal setting in terms of that introductory press conference, it was Joe who came out and said, like, I want guys who hate losing more than they love winning. And he wants the culture and he wants the, he said it even after they traded Jamal Adams, that he wants guys that want to be there. He wants the right people, the right culture. Jadavion Clowney is a guy that quite literally he had he was playing for a contract in in Houston where he was gonna if he balled out for just one year like one consistent year he was gonna get 20 million a year I mean that's what pass mm-hmm. rushers go for and the guy still kept that reputation of like lackadaisical cavalier plays when he wants to takes plays off you don't know what you're gonna get so if he's like that when he's coming up on a contract 
what's he going to be after you give him that massive deal? So, I, I mean, personally, I would – if it. I mean, look, training camps, the practices are now starting tomorrow. Like, they're actually right. going to really kick, kick off these practices. The guy still is not signed. I've heard some little rumors that, like, his knee isn't 100% and there's some, some issues medically, and that's why. And teams haven't been able to get, like, the look at him yet to know how he's doing. So that's why he's not signed. But if they could get him in a team-friendly deal, why not bring him in? But I just don't see the Jets giving him like a big long term, a massive money contract or anything like that, just because I don't think he's a Joe Douglas guy and they're not going to be willing to commit that much money to him. Right? Yeah, I don't think we'd even be in favor of any kind of long term deal, maybe like a one year kind of thing where you maybe overpay him a little bit and then wipe that money off the books. And Matt and I were talking about this. We don't understand how, if you give a guy a one year contract, it affects your cap situation for the next year. People say, oh, if the Jets don't spend the money, it'll just roll over. Yeah, it I doesn't don't make think it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not that year. It's that teams, uh, I don't think the Jets are in this position. They were a couple of years ago. But, like, if you don't, you have to spend a certain percentage right. of your right. salary cap. So, like, that's why you'll see some teams uh, just go, like, batshit crazy in free agency because they have, like, they, they haven't spent in two or three years. And yeah, the Dolphins did like, that this year, yeah. Yeah, and they come up and they're like, holy crap, we got to spend money. So, you'll see, like, <laughs> they, them give, like, absurd contracts to some players that, like, all front-loaded or whatever. But – uh, the Jets aren't in that position yet. They're saving the money, and I don't think that's that's. I, from what I, say, I don't think there's any massive yeah, impact on, on four years, fifty-three million for Kyle Van Noy. Yeah, or Eric Flowers got like a, a contract. I was like, what the hell, Eric Flowers? That <laughs> sucks. Like, I, like, I was like, what the hell did you get that deal for? Yeah, yeah, they they went a little nuts. Yeah. yeah, and I, I want to get on to Le'Veon Bell because I think mm-hmm. last year you saw a lot of Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gaze don't get along. A lot of rumors came out there, and you were always the first one that defended the relationship. I remember you came out and said, there is no rift. They get along well. And it just comes down to, you know, winning and getting bell big plays, which obviously didn't happen a lot last year. Can you take us through, you know, why those rumors begin and then the current status of the relationship? Because it sounds pretty tight right now after hearing them uh, in their press conferences. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try to explain this the best way I can. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can tell you all fair. Um, they, they're, they're, I think it was just like a lot of some media speculation and some media fueled stuff that that made it seem like there was an issue between the two. And and obviously when when the trade deadline came and then there were reports that Le'Veon Bell was going to get traded and stuff like that. I mean, look, if a team came and offered the Jets a second round pick for him, I'm sure they would have dealt him because they just. I mean, that was a Mike McCagnan contract that right. Le'Veon Bell got. It wasn't a. It wasn't a Jets contract. It's certainly not a deal that Joe Douglas would have given him. So. Uh, I think that probably fueled some of it. and But there was never any, like, issue. And in fact, like, I remember talking to Gase about Le'Veon Bell, like, not not in a form, like, just the two of us BSing. And I remember him saying how, like, when, when Bell first got to the Jets, he kind of, he showed up and he acted like he was still in Pittsburgh. And, and what I mean by that is when Le'Veon Bell was in Pittsburgh, for the vast majority of his career, he was playing with James Harrison. Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Pouncey, like all of these like established veterans where while Le'Veon Bell was one of the best players on the team, he was not the leader. Like he was not, he didn't need to be the leader because there were all of these other bigger personalities where Bell was one of their best players. But when players wanted to look towards leadership, they looked towards, you know, Ben Roethlisberger who had the Super Bowl rings on his finger and Harrison who was defensive player of the year and, and also a Super Bowl. They looked towards those guys because they'd been there, done that, and then Le'Veon Bell was one of their best players. When Bell came to the Jets, he kind of showed up in the same way. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, messing around and stuff, but he just – he was like Le'Veon Bell. He was like, okay, this is no different as Pittsburgh. Gase called him into his office and was basically like, look, you need to realize that you just came into a locker room that's not the Steelers. We are an incredibly young team. There are players in this locker room right now that are looking at you like you are a god, that are looking at you like, holy shit, this is Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy that I played with on Madden and like ran for 2000 yards and like drafted on my fantasy team. And he's right over there. Like that's Le'Veon Bell. He goes, Gase told him, he goes like Le'Veon, they are looking at your every move. They are watching you every second in practice. They're watching you in the film room. They're watching you here. They're watching you because they want to see if this is Le'Veon Bell, how does Le'Veon do it? Cause that's how I want to do it. And once Gase said, uh, Gase told me, he goes, once I said that to him, suddenly it all changed. He's the first one into every meeting room. He's taking copious notes. He's going hard as hell in every practice rep. He's doing all these things now because all of a sudden he was like, oh, this is new for me too. Like this mm-hmm. is like new. And I'm sure there were, there were times in games where 
where Bell wanted the ball more. And, and Bell, I remember, like, he kind of got the, the – it wasn't a, a clash between Gase and Bell, but it was the one thing that the two of them had to work through was, like, Bell was so used to having these unbelievable seasons and just getting whatever he wanted because of how good the Steelers were. Like, forget just how good that offensive line was. They also right. had Antonio Brown and, and Mike Wallace for a portion and all these great receivers out there that teams couldn't stack the box against Bell because suddenly you're going one-on-one against Antonio Brown and you can't, he's going to take top off the defense. So he was it was easier for him to have success. A little different so than he was, Falk. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> correct. Yeah, and, and even Robbie. And, like, Robbie's not Antonio Brown. Like, Demarius Thomas is an Antonio – or Demarius yeah. Thomas the Jets had is an Antonio Brown. Yeah. So, like, there were issues, too, where, like, Bell was – getting very frustrated that he wasn't having the same stats. So what he was trying to do was basically like take every handoff and make it the 25, 30 yard run. And Gaze had to kind of sit down with him and say like, dude, that's not going to work right now. Our offensive line's not the Steelers. Our receivers aren't the Steelers. Teams are making their focus stopping you. They don't care about anyone else. Like they want to stop you. And if someone else beats us, if Vincent Smith beats us, so be it. You know what I mean? So Gaze kind of had to say to him like, look, Five yards for us and this team is as good as 25 yards was for the Steelers. Just get us five. So that's why you saw towards the end of the season, specifically against the Ravens, that was shortly after they had that conversation of just get me the five. And that was one of the best. So their relationship was never bad. Like their relationship was never fractured. The relationship was never terrible. Did Gase want Le'Veon Bell here? Gase didn't not want Le'Veon Bell here. The way that Gase approached free agency was like, we have a shit ton of holes right now. Let's fill these holes before we go get the cherry on top that is Le'Veon Bell. And then Mike McCagno was like, basically like, surprise, we signed Le'Veon Bell. Here he is. And like, that was <laughs> yeah. kind of like, you know, so it's not that Gase didn't want him. It was that Gase just felt the money should be put elsewhere and, and gone to everybody. But once he got Le'Veon Bell, he's like, sweet. We just got one of the best running backs in the NFL. So I think it was just blown out of proportion. I think a part of it was trying to, make it seem like there was an issue there that was not there when in reality there has never been any issue. And with the Jets offensive line conceivably being improved with Gase now having a better understanding of how to use Le'Veon and all that stuff, I think you'll see a a much better, not only uh, obviously better relationship between the two, but you'll also see some more success on the field. Yeah. Yeah, And just quickly to build off that. So most teams don't like to pay a running back $14 million a year. Yeah. Uh, This is the new landscape of the NFL. And, you know, the Jets have been preaching this culture of leadership like we talked about. And Joe Douglas drafts four straight college uh, team captains. And he's signing all these, you know, uh, Greg Van Rowland, who loves the Jets. And he's been a Jets guy his whole career. Yeah. So are the Jets, if Le'Veon Bell, I guess the question is, at what point of what kind of season does Le'Veon Bell have to have where the Jets cannot justify cutting him? You see what I'm saying? So oh, if, yeah. uh-huh. if Le'Veon Bell is 1,200 yards and 14 touchdowns, the Jets fans will riot if he gets cut. Yeah. If he has 950 yards, where is that line, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like if he's under 1,000 yards rushing, I, I think that's that's yeah. probably going to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just needs to show a burst. continued leadership. Like, that's a big thing. Like, oh, he's going to have bur- – I mean, he's like 210 pounds right now. Like, he's going to have yeah, burst. 4% body um, set. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's going he's gonna to have – he's going to have that. That's not going to be an issue. Um, but I think you're – you were right there with, with – if he's around – if he's averaging – four and a half yards of carry if he's got 400 yards receiving and he's got 11 or 1200 rushing yards and the jets are winning eight games nine games and they're in contention for the playoffs and bell is a big reason why i don't see there being a reason to let him go because i mean it's not like if the jets keep him in 2021 it's like oh crap now the rest of his contract's guaranteed it's not like there's like that you know the, the he's got to be kept by this point like, you know what i mean That's like they point, can keep yeah. him next year and then cut him in 2022 like they kind of have him under control or whatever so i think if he's averaging four and a half yards a uh, carry 1100 1200 yards he's got another three 400 yards uh, receiving i think that's where you're going to be um that's where you're going to be uh in, in pretty good shape with him i think I, I think that's when he would be brought back and there'd be no issue with him. i mean look the jets the guy that I think is definitely going to be gone next year is Henry Anderson. And, and with Henry mm-hmm. Anderson gone, that's freeing another eight and a half million just by cutting Henry Anderson. The jets are going up to the third most cap space of uh, any team next year, assuming a base floor of 175 million. So they'll be in fine shape and they can renegotiate some things. And there's other ways that they can get extra money cutting font. If fonts not working van Roten, they can get out from under yeah, like, the Santa's like one year so, deal. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a, yeah, with two dummy years on top of it. Where Joe Douglas gave out 900 one-year contracts. Every guy is Correct. Uh, have 20 Correct. regions. Exactly. But. So, I mean, it's not I, – I don't think 
I don't think it's something where it's like they have to bring him back for like you know what I mean. It's it's one of those where they've yeah. they've got their options. They yeah, have their so options. We'll do like one or two more questions, then we'll let you yeah, get sure. out of here. We appreciate cool. your time. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I, I feel like we have touched on Darnold at least once. You know, Mike and I mm-hmm. are team Darnold guys. We're not ready to, you know, tank for Trevor Lawrence, given a bad year. We, yeah. we think, you know, in a year is a disaster, right? If hypothetically three wins, four wins, you know, Gaze is likely gone. And then oh, you want to see a new yes. coach, you know, pick up Darnold and then try to implement his offense. So, you know, what kind of year? I know Darnold, you know, training all offseason. Uh, Palmer had great things to say about him. What do you expect from Darnold this year, whether it be statistically or leadership? Because it seems like he's more confident around the guys in the locker room. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like, I don't, I don't know what to expect from Darnold. And, and I don't say that in negative. I don't mean that negatively. Like, I, I, in all seriousness, like, I don't mean that negatively. But I don't have any expectations for him this coming season, um, largely because I don't really know how to feel about him after two years. Like he's not a bust. That's, that's clear. Like the kid is not a bust of a quarterback. He is, he is shown enough to show that he can play in the NFL. Like he can play in the NFL. He can be a quarterback. I don't know though yet. And I, and I don't think anyone can say, and including those within one jet drive feel the same way. Like you, you don't, you can't say, and I've said, I've kind of like said this before and written this before, but like, you can't say right now about Sam Darnold entering into year three, what you could about Pat Mahomes heading into his year three or Carson Wentz heading into his his year Mm -hmm. three or Deshaun Watson or even to some extent Jared Goff. I mean, Mitch Trubisky showed a little bit more in year two than what Sam Darnold did. Now he crashed and burned in year three, but still like the point remains. So Darnold right now, what he's shown is is he's a a player that improved from his, his rookie to sophomore season. Uh, He's a guy that's shown some, some real ability to, to make some plays when he's off script but he's also shown an ability to make the plays that really hurt you. And, and he hasn't taken that next step to, to, to be able to sit here and say, Sam Darnold is the quarterback that will win you a Super Bowl. Like, I can't say that yet. And I think that assuming training camp kind of keeps going and there's no massive hiccups with this pandemic or whatever, I think I'll have a better idea of expectations for Darnold entering year three after I see him for all of training camp and be able to like see him every single day and say like, okay, this kid's rocking and rolling this year. Like he's looking good. Like that's when I'll have an idea on him. But like, I just don't, I don't have expectations for him yet just because I have no idea what to think of him. I just don't. And that, again, that that's not a shot. I, I don't mean that as a criticism of Darnold. I mean, that just as this year three is the year that's going to set up his career expectations moving forward. You know what I mean? Like, think, like Carson Wentz is the guy that I always compare him to or not compare right. Darnold to, but compare the situation to. He suffered that ACL tear, but if he didn't suffer that ACL tear, he's, he's MVP. an MVP. MVP, yeah, yeah. MVP candidate in year two. So going into year three, you can say, that's a dude that can take you to a Super Bowl. Like, that's, that's, that's my expectations for Carson Wentz if he doesn't injure that knee going into year three. That's, the Eagles should be a perennial Super Bowl contender because he's under center. Same with Deshaun Watson. That team is a perennial contender because they have Deshaun Watson. He can do things. Pat Mahomes, you can take away – uh jones you can take away kelsey you can take away all these guys as long as pat mahomes is under center for the chiefs they're a perennial super bowl contender because they have the quarterback you can't say that yet about the darnold just because you haven't seen enough mm-hmm. so my i guess what i would say is my expectations for him are that you know this time next year what quarterback he is whether he is the guy that is a good player but you just need to surround him with talent to make a run which is fine or you know that he's going to be the guy that you're he's going to be the reason you win a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? You you just I just don't know that yet. And I it's, again, it's not a shot at him. You just don't know. Like don't worry, that, right? we're very we're very unbiased here towards uh, yeah. you know, Sam Dar. Yeah. yeah. So now we we think he's the guy, but that's a very fair point. And uh, all right, so we'll leave you with one more question. Another ridiculous question. All, all right. right. So all right, here we go, Connor. Picture the scene. Whole offense, Hall of Fame players. You have Pat <laughs> Mahomes right. as your quarterback. He's a future Hall of Famer. Jerry Rice is a receiver. The offensive line is incredible. The defense, yeah. every player is unbelievable. Every, everyone's a Hall of Famer, and you are the starting middle linebacker. <laughs> how many yeah. how, how many games does your team win? Everyone season? else is a Hall of Famer? Well, well I think we, we did talk about, though, having, if you're the middle linebacker, Manish Mehta is a left outside linebacker, and Rich Samini is right outside linebacker. Running okay, so the linebackers three. are bad. The, the, the linebackers are bad. Um, you can probably win. Everyone else is a Hall of Famer. You can probably win her twelve or thirteen games, and this is why I say that. This is why I say that. 
how many packages actually keep all three linebackers on the field at the same time? You guys got to play. You can bring an extra safety <laughs> off the bench. You can, you can keep us on the bench for 99% of the snaps, and we'll still win 12 or 13 games. <laughs> We've actually got to play every single game. Yeah. You're covering uh, Travis Kelsey in this slot. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that you're going to be – I mean, that offense is going to have to score a lot of points, man. That um, offense is going to have to score a lot of points. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. That's we're going to be in trouble. All right, well, Connor, yeah. we, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, thanks no for the, the inaugural episode of uh, the Broadway Jets podcast. So, appreciate your time. Uh, you want to hang out for like a minute after we could catch up. and uh, But thank you very much, and we'll cut it there. All right. Wow. Well, we're back. That was a fun interview with Connor Hughes. It's great to have Connor on. Connor and I used to go to school together, went to Monmouth University. He came on my radio show a couple of times as we referenced uh, in the interview. Just a delightful dude. Very handsome. People don't talk about that enough. Dude, the, you know? the best part of the interview by far was the Dowell Loggins flag throwing because the fact that Adam Gaze gave it to him one time and he was afraid to take it away from him is like an all-time story that I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever heard before because we've all wondered why he has it and it's because Gaze feels bad taking it away. One of the unknown mysteries of the surrounding the New York Jets was Dowell Loggins' role and his, uh, especially his flag throwing. So it's good that we got to the bottom of that. Uh, we touched on some really cool Le'Veon Bell stuff. Uh, I, I did not know that Adam Gase had some of these, you know, intimate conversation, conversations, excuse me, with Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, regarding, hey, you're not on the Steelers anymore. This isn't Pittsburgh. We're building a program from you know, from the ground up and you, you know, you hear about that all the time, you know, Hey, we're going to, you know, give these guys a couple of years. You got to build the culture and people say, Oh, you know, what does that entail? It's not just, you know, like Joe Douglas going out and getting four, you know, four or five players in the draft that were team captains in college. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, you have to transition some of these players into, you know, those, those leaders that you need on your team. So it was really cool to hear Connor talk about that. Yeah. And to your point, you know, when he came here, you know, I thought, Bell was professional, you know, his entire time. But you can make a, a clear distinction of, you know, when he first got here versus, you know, week four, week five. I feel like he became a great leader of that team. And he realized that, you know, even though he wasn't wearing the captain patch, he was, you know, the most looked up to guy in that entire team. And that's why we're huge, huge proponents of having him have the captain patch moving into 2020. So. I'm wearing a shirt right now. I'll say <laughs> it. I am. So we're going to go through a few of the Jets mailbag hypotheticals that we got. Um, starting out with Paul Weezy, better chance at winning the Super Bowl. Was it the 09 Jets over the Saints or the 2010 Jets over the Packers? This is a really good question. I put a lot of thought into this. And I still I don't know answer. where I land. I think, I think the, the, the 2010 Jets would beat the Packers more than the 2009 Jets would beat the Saints. Because the 2010 Jets were a better team. They won 11 games. The 2009 Jets had a better defense mm -hmm, yeah. and a better uh, better point differential. But in 2010, the Jets played the Packers on Halloween. I remember I dressed up as Darrell Rivas <laughs> that year. you know, And they lost 9 nothing. So the Jets were able to stop Aaron Rodgers in that ridiculous offense. Uh, and that's not the year that the Packers were 10-6 and six that year. It's not the year they were 15-1, and one, mm -hmm. which is the next year when the Giants beat them in the playoffs. Um, so I think the Jets could have slowed that team down. The Saints in 2009 – uh, you know, they just could have won that game, ground and pound. And but rookie, rookie Mark Sanchez. Rookie quarterback is, yeah. you know, that's a vicious task. And the Jets' passing offense was atrocious. The Jets ran for 2,700 yards on the ground. But the Saints had a solid run defense that year. They had Greg Williams as their defensive coordinator. Um, so I would go with the 2010 Jets over the Packers. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Louis D, nineteen ninety seven. Quinn Copels or Vernon Golston? Mike, I know that you have a you know immediate take on this. It's an obvious. It's obviously Quinn Copels. I mean, Copels had six and a half sacks in a season. Vernon Golston is zero for his career. Uh, and if Vernon Golston is good, then we wouldn't have be having this debate that we just had because the Jets would have won the Super Bowl in two thousand nine or two thousand ten. Yeah, and you look back on it, right? You think Copels immediate bust, and where we took him in the draft, obviously bad pick, horrible pick, but you mentioned it. Six and a half sacks in one year. It's pretty good. Not not the not the Vernon Golson who's never had a sack in, in his entire career. All right. 2014 Jets, man. I love the 2014 Jets. Yeah. It's my favorite weird team. 
All right. Michael Vick. Five eight five eight Jack. What if Rex Ryan was hired with this current front office and with Sam Darnold as his quarterback? What do you got? I mean, look, I, you know Adam Gates. He's only on the offensive huddle. He only cares about the offense. Rex Ryan will have all the confidence in the world in Sam Darnold, like he had in Sanchez, but he's going to be very focused on that defense, very Greg Williams-esque, only focused on that. And whoever he hired as offensive coordinator, that's what would really make the impact on Darnold and that team. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would change it too much anyway because we have a great defensive coordinator. I love Rex. I would be happy if Rex was somehow in the organization. He's a fun guy. He's brash and exciting, but... You already have a stud defensive coordinator. I don't think it would change things too much. Like, what is Rex going to make the Jets last year have better than the ninth DVOA of you know in the entire league of defense? I'd probably not. So, uh, I'm you know I'm good with our current situation. Adam Gase is you know the jury is out. The jury mostly came in with a very negative attitude. I don't think the jury <laughs> in this example would be allowed to be a jury because they're very biased. But <laughs> so yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, Chris Anello, if you could have one coach, assuming Gates is not back next year, who would it be? I think we're both on the same page here. We are huge Jim Harbaugh. Three, Jim guys. Harbaugh. Fuck. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love Jim Harbaugh. We talk about it all the time. Forty-four and nineteen as the coach of the Forty ers and one tie. And one tie. And yeah, yeah, the five years before he came, they were a dumpster fire, and the five years after, they were horrible. Right, and just getting good in twenty nineteen. So. Um, Moving on, Zach Carr, huge friend of the program. <laughs> Who would you trust more in a kickoff return, Devin Smith or Trenton Cannon? I think we talked about this too. I think I would go with Trenton Cannon. Trenton Cannon did return some kicks. I mean, but he also fumbled at least one kick uh, in his weird tenure with the Jets. Devin Smith was the Thursday night Bills game, right? Did he, didn't he not? He fumbled the, the Kellen Davis non touchdown game when, you know, he was wide open in the back of the end zone. Those both Bills games are tough because they both were twenty-two to seventeen. They both blend together. They both made us, <laughs> of course, not make the playoffs and the vicious, vicious. But yeah, Devin Smith has one career kick return for twenty-one yards. I'll go with Trent Cannon, yeah. dude. Guy's explosive. He had like an eleven-yard catch one time against the Texans. People forget that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, New York Jets film. Would you rather hang out with a hardcore Bills fan? Or a hardcore Giants fan? Bills, for sure. I mean, the reasoning is the Bills fans that I've met are much better actual football fans than the Giants fans that I've met. And the Giants have won twice in the last, you know, they won 2007 2011. The Bills haven't done anything. The Bills are horrifying yeah. for, for 25 years. So what are they going to say to us, you mm-hmm. know? And if you hang out with a Bills fan, look, you know, Bill's Mafia, fun crowd. We've had a lot of, you know, tailgating experience with them when they came to MetLife. I don't mind hanging out with a Bill's fan, but you, to your point, we don't. what do they have on us, right? What are they going to say to us? And we grew up around dozens of Giant fans who they would only throw their Eli Manning jersey on in week 15 when they were, you know, 8-5, and five, and then everything changed from there. So uh, let's see here. <laughs> Win one Super Bowl. And be horrible for the rest of eternity, Does it go or be a Super Bowl contender every year but never win. <sighs> I mean, uh, that's a good question. For me, it's easy. You win one, and then you're terrible forever. It's the Thanos method of going all in, and then when you're done with it, you go to like a random planet by yourself in a cornfield and just say, you know, I did my job. The Jets won. I'm gonna retire, and you're out. I don't think I could handle every year. Imagine, you know, win the division, lose on the last second field goal in the AFC championship game, win the division, you know, drop past in the end zone. Like imagine every year going through that couldn't be me. It's vicious, but the the flip side is that there are so many good moments, you know, in the Super Bowl team, it's a little more satisfying with the finality, but you got, oh man, you got all those week four games where you win like 38 to seven against the Jaguars. You get to see, you know, whoever the quarterback is in 2048, throw a nice touchdown to, yeah, it's close, but you probably win that Super Bowl and then call it yeah. a day. All right. That question was from Casablanca Dibs, whose who's, <laughs> who's photo is Peter Griffin with huge eyes. Um, Adam Gase eyes. The, 
New York take flight. Game is on the line. Clock is expiring. You have to throw a Hail Mary up to Stephen Hill or Salim Hakeem. Now, isn't I, I Stephen Hill is the the right answer? I believe you know for sure. Okay, I, making sure we're on the same page. But Salim Hakeem did sign my hat at training camp, and I was like, that guy is going to be a big threat this year. He's going to be an explosive player. He ran like a four three. Um, he probably caught four passes that year. So, I would take I would take Stephen Hill. To the con- uh, Salim Hakeem never even caught a pass. He was a he- kick returner. He actually had no, but he had two rushes for negative three yards, which is I mean exciting. That's, that's impressive. But Stephen Hill is six four, two fifteen. I mean, like if you're gonna throw a Hail Mary, he probably would be one of the top candidates. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jet Stan. What if Rex Ryan never put Mark Sanchez in the 2013 preseason game? Dude, I actually tweeted back at him and I said we could actually make an entire podcast based on that one scenario mm-hmm. because who knows, but the real answer is the 2013 jets had a, a minus 95 point differential. So they should have really went five and 11, six or 10. And that was an eight and eight year. Yeah. They went eight and eight. They alternated wins the first 13 weeks. They had that great win against the saints where Quentin Cobles, uh, had the, you know, when the Saints tried to do an end around with Josh Hill, their backup tight end on fourth and one and Quinn Cobles blew it up. Uh, so look, I mean that, it would have been great. I'm a huge, huge Mark Sanchez fan, as my followers on Twitter know. Uh, so, I, I mean, I would have loved to see Sanchez. I was really upset with that. Um, but, you know, probably not that much would really have changed if we kept Sanchez for the 20 – if Sanchez played in the 2013 season instead of getting hurt in the stupid Snoopy Bowl. Yeah, I agree. It was a weird, you know, dynamic. Obviously, right, he's in there with the backups, gets hit. Rex took a ton of blame for it. And I think he took ownership after the game too, saying he, he shouldn't have been out there. But, you know, good hypothetical. Uh, Andy Soul, what if the Jets took Mahomes instead of Jamal Adams? You know, one thing. Well, what, you gotta, if I had a, what if I had a 12-pack? Yeah. yeah. And terrible question. Another thing too, look. Make me sad. Mahomes is obviously <laughs> the, the, the pick there if you have it. Remember, yeah. instead of having Andy Reid, you go and you have, you know, Todd Bowles, your head coach. So yeah. Patrick Mahomes would, I think, if he was in the Jets, still be dynamic, still be amazing. Um, but you got, you know, to each zone. He got well, put to in. Be clear, it's a very good question. It's just terrible in the sense that it's upsetting. Yeah. But, I mean, the Jamal Adams pick is literally a very good pick. He picked an all-pro guy. So, um, and the Jets were in a weird spot at that time, you know. They weren't sure what they were going to do quarterback-wise. They had Bryce Petty and Christian Hackenberg on the roster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a disaster, but you know, you pass on that guy and they also pass on Deshaun Watson, but it's important to note these guys weren't like, if anyone knew what either of the, they, uh, either Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson were, they'd be the number one, they go two one or two. obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's very hindsighted. And it's like, it's, it's a little obnoxious to look at. It's more upsetting. Of course, if you're a bears fan and the team trades up to take Trubisky, um, <laughs> that mm-hmm. is very frustrating. Yeah. But so as the in the Jets case, I'm happy with Sam Darnold. And I know you are too. So, it doesn't sting as much, but the question is, right now we'd probably be a little bit better than we are. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kevin Bartner, what if a healthy Chad Pennington could have remained on the field? Well, you saw what he could do. I mean, the guy went to the playoffs three times with the Jets. He took the Dolphins from 1-15 and to 11-5, and won the comeback player of the year, finished second in the MVP in 2008. That's the last time a team, of course, won the division other than the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And the Patriots were 11-5 and that year and missed the playoffs. Uh, you know, obviously that's the Brett Favre year with the Jets. Um, so look, if you have a healthy Chad for more of his career, the Jets are, you know, even though they were a consistent playoff team in the 2000s, we like to talk about from 98 to 2010, the Jets made the playoffs seven times, 98, uh, 2001, 2002, 2004, 2006, mm-hmm. 09 and 10. And, you know, three of those years were with Chad right in the middle. And then when Chad would get hurt in those odd years, so 2003, 2005, 2007, the Jets were a dumpster fire. They were horrible. They went four and 12, six and 10 and four and 12. And then, you know, obviously the Patriots were spying on the Jets when they went 16 and 0, we were four and 12. But so, you know, look, I think the Jets would have been a little more competitive. Uh, there were some games like, I know we were, we were watching the 2002 uh, Jets Colts playoff game and the announcers were like gushing, like, Hey, the Jets, you know, they come off a win against the Packers week 17, 38 to 17. And we're like, this Chad Pennington guy is the real deal. And he was, he was a good quarterback, but it's a shame for the Jets that he wasn't able to stay on the field. Yeah. When you look back to 2002, right. Last home playoff game against Indy. Right. Yeah. You, you look at that game. They have it the full game on YouTube. I was watching it a few weeks ago. You, 
the announcers are talking about Chad Pennington, like he is the 10, 15 year quarterback of the New York Jets. It's very cool to look back on that broadcast and, and hear the way they talked about him and how accurate Chad was. Really a shame. You know, I look back on it. Um, you, you wish you could have got more games in there, but I think you called it out best. He, he still had years where he was healthy and, and we kind of knew what he was. And let me correct myself. The Jets beat the Packers 42 to 17 in the last game of 2002. But also it's fun to note, Chad Pennington was the career NFL completion percentage leader until Drew Brees passed him a couple of years ago. And didn't so, Sam Bradford take it for a year? Sam Bradford, I think set the single season record. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. With the Vikings. Yeah. 71.6%. <laughs> That's ridiculous. All right. So Andy's coming back. Um, he had an earlier question. If you could, if you had to experience one of these again, which oh, would be the question. least painful butt fumble, Sam getting mono, Safarian Jenkins no catch in the Pats game, or the Marino fake spike? I'll let you take yeah. that one. All right. So breaking all these down, the, the Sam Darnold mono was just very upsetting because the Jets obviously have been in a long transitional period. A lot of people thought the Jets were going to compete last year. And then week two, your quarterback – gets a weird disease and a disease know, that when, no one it's a weird disease it never like, happened when, when Noah Syndergaard got hand foot mouth disease. Can't like you, this can't happen right the Austin Safarian Jenkins play is probably the least meaningful I'm mean, at the time the Jets were three and two they were winning and the Patriots the Jets were three and two the Patriots were three and two week six the Jets were supposed to literally go defeated that year in 2017 and you're up 14 nothing in that game and then the Austin Safarian Jenkins play just was very frustrating uh, yeah. because it wasn't on the Jets. Like, the Jets didn't do anything wrong. He scored a touchdown. I felt like there was no justice. The refs just took the game from us. That really hurt. We were also losing by 10 points at that time, which we always talk about. We forget. And Buster Screen <laughs> dropped a pick six at the right before yeah. the half, which would have changed the entire outcome of that game. Yeah. The Dan Marino spike game really hurts Jets history because that's 1994. The Jets were 6-5 and five playing the Dolphins. To obviously get to seven to five. That we had Pete Carroll was our coach for that year, so we are up. Uh, we're, we're winning in that game, and then Dan Marino with the fake spike. Of course, the Jets lose out. We go six and ten. Fire Pete Carroll. Bring in Rich Cotite. Like crazy change. The butterfly of, effect of what happened after that. Yeah, unbelievable. What was the last one? It was uh, the butt fumble. Oh, the butt fumble. We don't want that yet. We don't want that. So, Get the, that definitely. It's just because we love Sanchez. We don't want to hear about the stupid butt fumble. It's so ridiculous. People forget Sanchez threw for 300 yards that game. Yeah, I, you know, I think we land <laughs> that we we want to relive the Safarian Jenkins catch. But in the moment, yeah. I don't think I've ever been more mad as a fan watching a game and and feel like that touchdown was completely taken away. But it didn't feel right. In the long-term effect, that 2017 year. It actually helped us. Theoretically, we yeah, have get yeah. get Darnold. Um, I remember that year was the Mariota the Mariota game. Oh no, yeah, was that twenty sixteen? Now that must have been twenty sixteen. That was earlier. Yeah, that was the, uh, the Delaney Mariota Bowl when uh, Delaney, Delaney Walker, Walker yeah. almost scored a last second touchdown, but uh, was chased down by Dewan Landry. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my God! Yeah, that was twenty fourteen. God. Twenty fourteen. That was yeah. Holy hell. Cut the 2016 part. I said 2017 too. <laughs> um, all right. Big Billy. Uh, what if Bill Belichick stayed with the New York Jets? You know, this is a weird question. I, there's a full YouTube video on like the what if, and they go through and break down what they think would have happened for me. Yeah, I don't know. You can't look back at that. Well, the thing with Belichick is, so Belichick coached the Browns for, for uh, five years and went 36 and 44. He went to the playoffs in 1994, the year we were just talking about, mm-hmm. and they won a game. And then they went 5-11, and became the, the defensive coordinator of the Jets, went 5-11 and with the Patriots in 2000, and then went on the crazy run. So who knows, you know? What if he went 5-11 and and we fired him, and then we'd just be even more mad? Mm-hmm. So, yep. ugh. <laughs> this, this is a great one. Um, Taylor Butler, the best Jet second-round pick from 2008 to 2016. Let's try to go through it, though. We didn't – all right. Who was – so 2016, we took Darren Lee in round one. Right. Who was round – it was the Hackenberg year? 2016, we took Hackenberg so, in the second round. We never took a snap, so probably not him. And That's – no matter who it is, I'd rather have nobody. 2015, <laughs> that was the Leonard Williams 
And then we took Devin, Devin Smith. Smith. All right. So Devin Smith had what, like ten catches on the Jets for he had a touchdown. So he is now in the lead, theoretically. The person <laughs> to beat is Devin Smith. Um, yeah. twenty fourteen. The twenty fourteen guy might win. Calvin is Jason Morrow. Oh my god, yeah, Calvin Pryor round one, Amara round two. We yeah. talked ourselves into Amara. We were in a a lot of people did. We were in a basement drunk and we took the pick and we looked and everyone was like, That's the like big tight end, big red zone threat. And we're like, all right, this guy's gonna have ten touchdowns a year and have eleven hundred receiving yards. And so we, spoiler alert. It, well, twenty thirteen actually is gonna win. I forgot. It's yeah. Gino. Yeah. So twenty thirteen. The only thing with Gino is, Gino was objectively a bad quarterback and statistically, and it might be better to not like have a bad tight end than a bad quarterback. Right. Which is important to think about. But you know, there's a new wave of Gino Smith love on Twitter, and he did go eight and eight. Dude, so. it's the. I'm telling you, I talk about this all the time. It's the presidential, uh, like hindsight. So a president leaves office, everyone's like, "This guy sucks." And you look And then it. in five years, like, dude, maybe this guy wasn't so. You know, like, we really like that guy. So kind of like that theory. George Bush, <laughs> Obama, it happens. It always happens. So yeah. we'll rattle it off. It's gonna be tough to beat that. Um, Quentin Coble's first round pick in twelve. Stephen Hill. Was, you know, had two was a starting receiver for two years. Yeah, he, the Buffalo Week One game and was a twenty two TDs. He caught a touchdown over Stephon Gilmore. Unreal, exciting. Two thousand eleven. Eleven. We a couple of years we don't have. A pick. Eleven. We didn't have a second round pick. Vlad Dukas was our second round pick in two thousand ten, and then yeah, no no two thousand no second so round pick. A starting guard on the Vikings, but yeah, no second round pick until the two thousand seven draft where we took Dave David Harris. Which is probably the second best second round pick of the Jets' history, other than Mark Gastineau. I have some breaking news, right? And you're going to hear this Monday, but this is our initial reaction. Pete Carroll has responded to Greg Williams, the the comment of you know Seattle doesn't run as many plays or doesn't use as many safeties. <laughs> Pete Carroll, we don't make as many mistakes as he does, and that team does. Oh, little little chippy. I don't know. All right. All right, Pete. Week 14, baby. Oh, I, wa- I want to be there so bad. That's so sad. All right. All right. Pete Carroll. All right. Annoying. Chew- chewing 8,000 watts of <laughs> bubblegum for no reason. All By right. the way, the Seahawks were 22nd in points against last year. Dude, I cannot wait to root against them week in and week out. Oh, my God. That, that's like well, the... just for the pick. You know, obviously yeah. for like the draft pick. Yeah, and well, also screwed, like fucked them all. Yeah, I don't but, even care about Jamal. Yeah. All about the pick. Um, Andy Sukoff, um, who wins a matchup? Sukoff? Yeah. <laughs> who, who wins a dream matchup between the 98 and 2010 Jets? Great question. That's a really, really good question. I was thinking about this a lot the last two days. Talk to me. Probably, I, I first I said the 2010 Jets, and obviously I'm a little biased I was two years old when the Jets, the 1998 season, but the 98 Jets are the only 12 win Jets team. Mm-hmm. And there's really no holes on that team. There's a very good offensive line anchored by Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai. Now, Vinny Testaverde had a much, much better season than Mark Sanchez. 29 touchdowns, seven picks. He probably should have won the MVP. 11 and one in the games that he started. Curtis Martin, Hall of Fame running back. The dynamic receiver duo of Keyshawn and Wayne Kerbet. I mean, that's a vicious team. And the defense was very good. Victor Green and Mo Lewis was an all pro. Uh, I mean, and Aaron Glenn was a pro bowler. They had guys everywhere. The Jets defense was probably better in 2010, but the Jets from 1998 probably really should have won the Super Bowl more. Like if the 98 Jets went to the Super Bowl, they probably would have won. And the 2010 Jets went to the Super Bowl would have been a toss up because you're playing Aaron Rodgers. So I would take the 98 Jets. I like that. I've only watched the playoff games on YouTube of the 98 team. And you're right. They look dynamic as hell. Um, I'm going to defer on that question because I can't, with a good conscience, pick a, to- a team without watching the entire 98 year. But I like yeah, where your I head's at. Fifth in, fifth in scoring, second in defense in, in 98 is just the most dominant Jets team there was. So All right. <laughs> We're, we'll go rapid fire here as we have yeah. come up to, to almost the hour mark on the pod. How would the Jets' history be different if Herm Edwards allowed Pennington to drive another five to ten yards? So Doug O'Brien had a kicking 
Oh, had a kick of 35 yards instead of 43. Doug Bryant would have missed. Fuck him. I like that. Next. <laughs> Dude, I remember watching that game, and I was like, this guy can't make a fucking field goal. Yeah. All right. Um, <sighs> how many games did the Jets have won last year if we kept Andre Roberts and Jason Myers? It's actually an answer. It's, it's eight. It's literally eight. It's eight. Just <laughs> we would have made a kick in Buffalo, and then week one against Buffalo, and we would have won the game. We would have won eight and eight. Oh, goodness. And that was from Christopher Webb. Um, Byron, a team of 22 Tremaine Johnsons or 22 Spencer Longs. Oh, my God. I, you know, I like I know the, the answer would probably be, right, the faster, more athletic Tremaine Johnson. Look, the idea of having Spencer Long play all five line positions on the offensive side, which his probable, his worst position would be center, and then playing the entire D-line, the linebacking core. You know, Tremaine Johnson, I, he's a liability at corner, even against Spencer Long as a receiver. Uh, coin flip for me. I want to hear what you think. I go Spencer Long, but we talked about it. I think that – like we said, Spencer Long's worst position is center and Tremaine Johnson's worst position is corner out of all these things. So I'll take, you know, win on the line of scrimmage, which is what the Jets are going to try to do this year. All right. Paul Edwards, if you could, would you rather have Kotite as your head coach, Idzik as your GM, or Vidvik as your kicker? It's a really good question. Um, I would rather, I think I would rather have Idzik. Maybe Vidvik? I mean, this is a vicious question. Well, look, I think Vidvik... Look, he was horrible. Like Adam Gay said prior to that game, he looked good, and then in warmups he looked horrible. And they kind of knew going into the game that he wasn't right. I think I lean Vedvik because of the impact. So I'm kind of viewing this question as like a one year thing. But yeah, the kicker is going to make less of an impact than the coach or the GM. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be it, right? Yeah, I'm going, like I'm going kicker. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Raleigh JTFU. If you are a teenage boy, 16 years old, who would you rather have as your father, Joe Douglas or Adam Gase? Uh, I mean, the obvious answer is Joe Douglas. I don't think Adam Gase knows the name of his kids. And I, <laughs> and the fact that his kid did a Rubik's Cube during the draft and Adam Gase, like, I had no idea he could do that. Like, how do you not know your kid can do a Rubik's Cube? And I know Rubik's Cube is the whole talk of the dinner table, right? Yeah, and Adam, well, Adam Gase probably hasn't had dinner with his family since, like, the 90s. The thing about Adam Gase, though, is he, like, remember Thanksgiving, didn't go home for Thanksgiving. Like, I think Joe Douglas would be a cool dad, um, but I like the question, and I think we Joe, have... More. Joe Douglas would cut us from the house if we didn't uphold the culture. Yeah. He'd make us sleep outside. Yeah, and I think that was pretty much it. Thanks, again, for all the questions. I know we couldn't get to all of them. We wanted to... You know, keep it within an hour. Um, but that's pretty much it for the first episode. All right, All right we're going to put some outro everyone. music in. And, uh, yeah, jet, jet the fuck up. Jet what up. Fitzpatrick. Enzo. Eric Decker holds it in. The Jets win in overtime.